following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. transition now into the series that we're doing in Philippians, the book of Philippians. We took a break last week for Easter, but we're back into the series now. And um, just quick little bit of context if, you, if you're just jumping into this or have a short memory. Uh, two weeks ago, Philippians 2. Do you remember that amazing passage? Uh, one of the, I mean, are you allowed to have favorite passages? Of course you are. It, it's just a, a, an incredible passage about Jesus giving up all the privileges of deity, emptying himself to come down um, as a human being, dying on a cross, and then being raised again and ascended to the Father. And at the name of Jesus one day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. This exalted passage in the middle of Philippians. So now we come to the next passage in uh, Philippians 2. Uh, Philippians 2.12 is where we're starting this morning. And really at this point, Paul is now shifting into teaching us how to outwork all of this in our lives, and how to have that mind of Christ in our community, and in our families, and in our individual lives. So that, that's where we're heading. That's the context. Um, as you're finding your way there, Josh is going to come and read the passage for us this morning. Thanks, buddy. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. There you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. All right. Well, I am very pleased to report that I'm speaking on a subject this morning that I actually know something about. And that's because we're talking about grumbling. And I know quite a bit about this. Uh, because I'm an expert in the, in the subject. Uh, and in fact, our family is experts, really. And we are specialists in the whole art of grumbling. In fact, Josh wanted to know if that's why I asked him to read the passage this morning. I said, no, Josh, of course not. It's not why I chose you to read that passage. Not, not much. So, uh, yeah, we've got uh, three boys who um, really have perfected the art of grumbling really, really well. Um, one, one little trick that we've, Anna and I have figured out is that each, each Saturday we get the kids to do some work around the house or um, in the section, and we've connected that to screen time. So they have to earn the screen time, you see. And, and we've said to them, part of the criteria of earning the screen time is your attitude when you're doing these jobs, how much grumbling there is while you're doing these jobs. And it is amazing how much, when, when there's screen time at stake, the grumbling goes way down. It's amazing. There is a direct correlation somehow between screen time and lack of grumbling. So we're on to something there. But there is, I mean, there's a fair amount of grumbling, I think, in our household, grumbling around dinner time and bedtime and screen time and, you know, all, all the rest of it. So I feel like I'm really bringing something to the message this morning, first-hand experience to go on, you know. 
Uh, and it's not just kids, though, is it? I mean, as, as adults, we are often guilty of a fair amount of grumbling. Is that right? Shall we be honest about that? Um, what do we grumble about? The weather, especially today. Grumble about our health. What was that one? The pastor. Grumble about church. There's always something to grumble about at church, isn't there? Grumble about other people. Grumble about politics. Grumble about COVID. Um, we, we even, it's amazing how we grumble about other people who grumble. You know, like we're, we're, we're so good. We can see it in other people. You know, we can, oh, what a whinger that person is. You know, they're such a complainer. And we're grumbling about that person. So, you know, we, we are, we, we've got to take the log out of our own eye sometimes on this one, don't we? I think in some ways we, we feel like this whole thing is quite trivial and maybe not that important. You know, it's just a bit of grumbling. It's just a bit of complaining. Everybody does it. Who really cares? It's not like one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not grumble. It doesn't seem to be on the same par as don't commit murder, don't commit adultery. Uh, but it is interesting that the Bible deals with the subject head on. And that the Bible explicitly tells us in Philippians 2, do everything without grumbling or arguing. And so obviously there was something going on in Philippi where this was an issue. We don't know exactly what they were grumbling and arguing about, but there was something happening there that was causing some grumbling. And Paul felt like it was important enough that he put it in his letter, front and center here, and directly spoke into that issue. And I think what we'll see is that even though grumbling feels like, you know, who cares, it's just life, it taps into some deeper issues in our faith and, and goes to some core elements of our relationship with God that really are central and do matter significantly. So we're going to tap into some of that as we look at this issue of grumbling. So if you look at the, the, the verse I want to focus on, verse 14, Paul says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing. The word arguing is the same word. If you, if you remember a message that uh, we did a few, oh, a couple of months ago now in Romans 14, we talked about disputable matters. Do you remember, some of you remember that? This is the same word. The, the word that is used for debatable matters, disputable matters, things that Christians disagree on and we can have conversation around without having to divide over. That's the word Paul's using here for arguing. So because I did a whole message on that, if you want to um, have a look at that a couple of months ago, Romans 14, uh, I'm not going to go into that today. I want to focus on this other word that Paul uses, grumbling. And the interesting thing about that word is that it, it is all built on a story. There's a particular story underneath what Paul is writing here. It's an Old Testament story. Because that word grumbling is the same word that's used back in the Old Testament to describe the grumbling of the Israelites as they journeyed through the wilderness. In fact, if you want to do a little study, this passage in Philippians, there's a whole lot of uh, echoes of the wilderness journey of the Israelites. Several times, Paul references what happened to the Israelites. So he's clearly got that, that story on his mind, and, and he alludes to it here. So I want to go back and, and have a look at what the nature of the grumbling Israelites was, because that helps us understand what this whole issue of grumbling looks like today. So we're going to dive back for a minute to Numbers 14. If you want to keep your thumb in Philippians 2, just turn back to Numbers 14 for a moment, because this is where we see it most clearly. This is the point in Israel's journey. Israel is on the edge of the promised land at this point. They've sent out some spies into the land to check out what kind of land it is and what kind of people live there. Those spies have come back and said, this is a good land. It's flowing with milk and honey. But there are giants in the land. These people are pretty fierce. 
and uh, they, they're going to be a formidable enemy. And so here's how the Israelites respond to that in, in uh, Numbers 14, verse 2. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? So the Israelites straight away start grumbling. They're grumbling against Moses. They're grumbling against Aaron. They're grumbling against God. Why have you let us out into this wilderness only to let us be killed by these Canaanites? You know, it would have been better if we went back to Egypt. I think they've got a pretty short memory when you think about what Egypt was actually like for them. But nevertheless, when you're in this situation, you always feel like the grass is greener, don't you? So they're feeling like, oh, now, why do we want to go into this land? We should just go back here. Grumble, grumble, complain, complain. And then here is how God responds to this grumbling of the Israelites. If you, turn, if you flick down to verse 26, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. You notice that God says, how long will they grumble against me? It's interesting, hey, because they were grumbling against Moses and they were grumbling against Aaron, but God hears that as grumbling against him. Ultimately, even though the Israelites were grumbling against people, grumbling about stuff, ultimately they were grumbling against God. Why has God led us here? Why has God brought us into this wilderness? Why is God going to let us die by the sword? And I think that characterizes our lives too, doesn't it? That we, we, can, we can grumble against other people. like We're pretty good at that. But we can also do a fair amount of grumbling against God. Have you seen this pattern in your own life? That we, can, we just get mad at God, get angry at Him, maybe turn our back on Him. Shake the fist at him um, for whatever reason. Maybe you, you, you're trying to get an amazing house that you think God is leading you towards and you feel like he's in it and you're working towards it and you get to the auction and it just goes way, 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 way above what you can pay. And you get mad at God because you feel like, God, I thought you were in this. I thought you were leading us. I thought you were here. I thought you were involved. And now it just feels like you've abandoned us. Feels like you don't care about us anymore. I thought you were here. I thought you were answering our prayer. Now what's up, God? And you just kind of explode with this rage or this just seething bitterness towards God. Or maybe you're going for a particular job, particular job promotion, and you really feel like God's in it. You really feel like he's leading you, and then you don't get it. And what happens? Angry at God. Grumble. Complain against God. Man, I thought, God, you thought, I thought you had my back. I thought you wanted this for me. I thought you were for me. I thought you were good. I thought you were kind. I thought you loved me. I thought you care about me. Obviously not. And we grumble, we get bitter, and we complain against God. We hit times that are hard. God doesn't answer our prayers in the way we thought he was going to answer our prayers. God doesn't meet our expectations. We thought he had for our lives, and we grumble and we get mad at God. And here is God's response to the grumbling of the Israelites, which is pretty sobering. He says in verse 28, So I tell them, As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land, I swore, with uplifted hand to make your home. That's, that's pretty sobering stuff. So God, God doesn't say, hey, I, you know, I hear what you're saying. Maybe I haven't thought this through. You know, I could have done things better. I tried this whole Exodus thing. didn't really work. He says, no, if you've grumbled against me, you will die. Uh, all of you that have grumbled, you'll all, your bodies will be strewn in the desert. How does that sound? Much grumbling after that? 
<laughs> All of a sudden, there was joy in the camp. Yeah, I mean, God didn't have a lot of tolerance for the grumbling of the Israelites, did he? I mean, it sounds pretty harsh. Uh, and that, is, that, that story is the exact reason the Israelites then spent 40 years in the wilderness rather than just a couple of months. It didn't take that long to get to Canaan, but they went around in all sorts of circles because God had said to them, because of your grumbling, because of what happened here, there's going to be a whole generation of Israelites that passes away, never gets to see the promised land. Now, that sounds pretty severe, doesn't it? And for some people, that kind of conjures up images of this capricious, mean God who's just bent on our destruction. But what I want you to see is there's something going on underneath this. It's not just about grumbling. It's not just about complaining against God. There was a deeper issue at work for the Israelites, and this starts to get to the core of what grumbling does in our hearts and where it comes from. Let me just read you a verse. You don't need to turn to this one, but Psalm 106, verse 24. Then they despised the pleasant land. This is talking about Israel. They despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his promise. They grumbled in their tents, and they did not obey the Lord. Those two Sentences in the middle go together. They did not believe his promise, so they grumbled against the Lord. They grumbled in their tents. Why did the Israelites grumble? Because they did not believe. And that word believe is the word for faith. It's where we get the word faith. Why did they grumble? Because at a deep level, they did not trust the Lord. God had told them he was going to give them the land. God had told them he was going to drive out their enemies. God had told them he would go before them. God had promised this to them, going right back to Abraham. So when the Israelites start grumbling against God, why have you let us here? Why are we going to die? On the, what are they really demonstrating? Lack of trust. Lack of faith. In God. Now, does this start to ring true for you? Can you see this? That when we grumble against God, that's a symptom. That's not the real issue. That's why we can think it's trivial but when you're grumbling against God, it is a symptom of a deeper issue, which is your lack of trust in God, your lack of deep faith in God. And there's no point just trying to deal with the symptom, right? Any doctor will tell you that. There's no point just trying to deal with this symptom without getting to the root cause, without getting to the deep issue. The deep issue is whether we are fundamentally able to trust in God. And that means... That when those prayers go unanswered, that when God doesn't act the way you want him to act, that when God has the audacity not to work to your timetable, that you come back to some very fundamental promises of Scripture and ask yourself, am I willing to trust these promises? The most fundamental things of our faith. Am I willing to believe the promise that God is still good? Or do I believe that really he's given up on me? This is what trust is. It's coming back to believing the promises that God has put in his word. Do I believe at a deep level that God is faithful? Or do I believe that only up to the point he meets my expectations of what life should involve and the trajectory of my career plan? Am I, am I willing when things totally hit the wall to come back and say, I still believe the promise that God is for me, not against me? Do I believe the promise that God will never leave me or forsake me, even when I feel abandoned by God? We feel that sometimes, don't we? 
feel like God's a million miles away, can't see him, can't feel him, can't sense his presence. Are we willing at those times to come back to that fundamental promise and say, God, I believe because your word tells me you will never leave me. You will never forsake me. Are we, this is what it means to trust. This is the root issue of all our grumbling that goes on. We're willing to come back and believe the promise that Paul mentions here in Philippians 2, that God is willing and acting and outworking his good purposes in our lives. You're willing to see that. Even when things are an absolute mess and life feels completely chaotic and all the plans you thought you had for this situation have just gone out the window, are you willing to come back and say, God, I believe that you are still working and you are still outworking your good purposes? I can't see them. Seems like all the evidence is to the contrary at the moment. Seems like this is just total chaos. But God, I believe in this situation that you are good and you're outworking your good purposes. And I I have to claim that by faith because I can't see it right now. Sometimes we claim it by faith because you can't feel it right now. But you say, God, I believe. Even when this is the song we're going to sing at the end, even when I can't see it, you're working. Even when I can't feel it, you're working. You're always always working, God. We stand on those promises. That's what it means to deeply trust. And the more that we come back and believe those promises of God, fundamental promises, simple promises, then our grumbling starts to disappear because we're starving it of oxygen. The more that you trust in God, the less that you need to grumble against him. I saw this um, play out beautifully in Andy Spears' life. Um, had, had the privilege of journeying with Andy, particularly in, in the last um, few stages of his cancer journey uh, last year, going back a little way. And it was amazing to see a guy there who in his 30s is struck down by cancer. And Andy wrestled with it. I mean, he wrestled with God, I think, kind of like Jacob wrestling with God. You know, it's that question of why. why? Why is God allowing this? You know, when Andy knew he had the rest of his life ahead of him, and then that, that realization that it's not, it's not going to be that way. That was hard. And he wrestled with that. And I reassured him that it was okay to wrestle with that. That is totally understandable. And we can bring all of that to God. But in the midst of that, I had this beautiful conversation with Andy one day. It was, it was about a month or so, wasn't it, Lynn, before he passed away. And I, I called him up because we couldn't, we couldn't see each other face to face. But I called him up and said words to the effect, Andy, in the midst of all you're going through, are you willing to recommit your life to the Lord? Are you willing to just surrender everything that's going on in your life? And surrender your heart again to God. He'd had a faith throughout his life. But there was that sense of, there was a step to take of renewing that commitment and re-surrendering his life to God. And he said, yeah, I want to do that. And it was beautiful just to, on the phone, hear Andy pray. He prayed. And then I prayed. And it was such a special moment just to hear in the midst of that pain and that struggle, this young man expressed that trust. In God. Did it mean that all the struggles went away? Of course not. Did it mean that the problems were over? No, of course not. He still had a really hard road to walk for that last month. But what I saw was a man who struggled but trusted at a, at a deep level. And I think even though he still wrestled a lot, a lot of questions around that, and that was really brutally hard for Andy, what I saw at a deep, deep level is that his, his soul was at rest because he knew that he trusted in the living God. And that was incredibly special. That's what we're holding together, friends, is trusting in God without assuming that that just makes our circumstances all okay. But in the midst of it, saying, God, I trust in you. Now, let me just answer. I think this raises a, a difficult question for us. 
And even though it's not directly covered in the text here, I want to just step into this for a minute because the question is, what's the line then between being honest with God and grumbling? Do you feel, do you feel that? You can almost be scared by a message like this because you feel like, gosh, I don't want to say anything to God, lest I grumble. You know, I don't want to be like the Israelites. Or I don't want to hear God say to me, your body's going to fall in the wilderness. You know, we don't want that. <clears throat> so how does, this, how does this work? We want to be honest with God, but I don't want to cross the line into grumbling against God. Well, we have, this is the beauty of the scriptures. We have this book and we have the perfect example in here of, of what this can look like. Uh, I want to encourage you to go to the Psalms of Lament. That is a part of the Bible that can teach us exactly how we can be honest with God. Because we want to be honest with God. God wants us to be honest with Him. But we can do that in a way that is not this kind of grumbling, hostility, angry, shaking the fist at God, right? That's what Job got told off for. But we want to be honest with God at the same time. Let me just read you a couple of verses. We won't, we won't look at this deeply, but just a couple of verses from Psalm 13 to show you what I mean. This is David, King David, and he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? That's being honest with God. Right? David didn't hold back. He's brutally honest with God. He's saying, God, how long? How long am I going to have trouble on the outside, trouble on the inside? Things are terrible. Like he's crying out to God. That's okay. Please don't let anything I've said this morning make you think it's not okay to cry out to God. It absolutely is. God wants to hear this. If King David did it, we can do it, right? But here's the difference. Here's the point. At the end of that psalm, here's how it finishes. Last couple of verses. But I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. See, that's where David gets to. That's the beauty of the lament psalms. So there's a beautiful arc to them where there is this grief and this anguish and this agony and this how long, O oh Lord, and then it moves through to yet I will trust. I don't know whether you remember, but years, years many years ago, we, uh, we looked particularly at Psalm 13, did a deep dive into that. And at the end of the service, I, we, we, we handed out these little cards and got everyone to fill out a card. On one side, it said, how long, O oh Lord, dot, dot, dot. And everybody filled in what their own how long, O oh Lord, was. How long, O oh Lord, before we can get a house? How long, O oh Lord, before we can have a baby? How long, O oh Lord, am I going to have depression? How long, O oh Lord, until my parents give me more screen time? How long, O oh Lord, whatever it is, you know, you fill it in. And then on the back, it said, Yet I trust. Just had these verses in your unfailing love. And during communion, we asked everybody to bring those little cards up and stick them on the cross. And maybe some of you were here and just saw it was a beautiful picture at the end of the service of a cross filled with lament, genuine biblical lament. And, and you, you could see on that cross all of this pain, all these stories, but all of this deep trust. And that's trusting, being honest without grumbling. So I want to encourage you to dive into some of those lament psalms, and you'll see the way to do this, because God invites us to be honest with him. But as we come to him, we still recognize that he's the king of the universe. We still recognize he's a holy God. That's why Paul says in this passage, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We still need to remember who we're talking to when we approach God. We just have to hold these things together.
So I want to encourage you to just take a moment of quiet reflection in your own heart. Maybe ask yourself, are there some areas in your own life where you're grumbling? Particular issues, maybe, grumbling about particular people, particular things. Maybe you are just grumbling against God. You're frustrated. Maybe you're just carrying all this anger towards God. We can be angry at God, right? And we carry that, and that's real. And I just want to encourage you this morning to bring all of that to your heavenly Father. He already knows, right? He's no point hiding that from him. He sees that. But just bring that to him and today lay that down and say, God, I've got a problem with grumbling. I see it. Maybe I've never really seen it as a problem until now. I've brushed it aside. But I see that, God, if I trace that all the way down, what I can see is I've got a trust problem, not just a grumbling problem. I want to encourage you to bring that honestly to your heavenly Father and ask him to, to plant deep faith in your heart that you could claim those promises of Scripture in a renewed way, especially when times are really, really hard, that God would lead you to that place of deeper trust. That's the deep solution to the problem of grumbling. Psalm 62.8 says, Pour out your hearts to God and trust Him at all times. Both of those things are critical, and we've got to hold both of those things together. We trust Him. And we pour out our hearts to him. If we can hold those things together, it cuts off the oxygen to the grumbling in our lives and leads us to a deeper place of rest and trust and dependence on the goodness and the providence of God. And that's what God is wanting to lead us into. Let me pray for us and then I'll take, we'll take communion. Lord God, you, you see every heart that's here today and our hearts are just open to you, God, whether or not we want to. Some of us maybe are hiding things from you or hiding things from each other, but we just stand here before you, God, and, and you see right into our hearts. God, we want to just bring to you honestly this morning the things that we're guilty of grumbling about. And we just in the quietness of this moment, Lord, we just name those to you and we just confess that, God. And we want to confess that as sin. And we, we recognize, Lord, we just haven't really seen it for the problem that it is. But we confess to you the sin of grumbling. And we just lay that down before you this morning, God. Jesus, we want to thank you that when you hung on that cross, when you took all of our sin and transgression upon yourself, that included all of our grumbling. And it seems almost strange to think about, but Jesus, you took our all of our complaints. You took all the, all the grumbling of the Israelites, so all, the, all the complaining, all the arguing, all the grumbling. You, you carried that, Jesus, because you took all of our sin. We thank you, Jesus, that not once did you grumble against your heavenly Father. Not once did you speak back to him, but you obeyed. And we thank you, Jesus, it's because of your obedience that all of our sin can be carried away and forgiven. And we thank you that as we've confessed our sin to you, God, You've, you cleanse us, you renew us by your grace, you wash our hearts clean, you fill us again with your love and your presence. We thank you, God, that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us, even though we are so broken and sinful. So we don't stand in guilt anymore, God, and we don't want to wallow in self-pity this morning, even though we see these things in our lives, but we want to move out from here today, Lord, with hope. And we want to move out confident in your grace, confident that we are known and accepted and loved by you. And I want to ask, Lord God, that you'd plant deeply in each of us this morning a deep heart of trust, a heart of faith, that we would believe your promises, not just with our lips, but deeply in our hearts, truly believing you are good 
and faithful and in control and on the throne. Help us not just to say those words, but to deeply, deeply believe and live that out in our lives. Help us to be trusting people, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.